0: we can talk about using
1: odd numbers. Odd numbers? Like uh, one, three, five, seven? Like you're an (laughs) oddball. Oh, God. See, she comes out with those (laughs) darts, y'all. She's Oh, she got them (laughs) armed and ready.
0: No, so using specific numbers when negotiating, you give the appearance that it's more immovable. So you're giving a number like 32,879.98 as opposed to... $33,000. $33,000.
1: That was Valerie Lewis, my co-host, and I discussing Never Split the Difference, negotiating as if your life depended on it by Chris Voss. If you want to hear an engaging discussion about negotiation and learn a few negotiating tactics, then keep listening to MOB, Masterminds of Business. I'm Gerald Johnson, and this is Episode 4. Every show, we will try to inspire you by introducing you to one of our masterminds or bringing your attention to a book, a podcast, an article that focuses on one of the four building blocks of business, processes, people, customers, and resources. Today, Val and I will continue with the topic of negotiation that Khalil Yearwood brought up in MOB3. Now, if you haven't listened to that yet, you should go download that right now. It's available on iTunes. Stay tuned for an information-packed show. Welcome to our discussion of Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. In his book, Chris Voss provides insight into the concepts and practices of FBI negotiators. He teaches the reader how to effectively use these tools and techniques in a business environment. Each chapter starts with a fast-paced story of a hostage negotiation, which is dissected to explain what worked and what didn't. Afterwards, Chris explains the theories and tools that were used to achieve a successful outcome. This is a 10-chapter reference guide on negotiation, where each chapter explores different tactics that can be used during a negotiation. We couldn't possibly cover all the tactics and tools that Chris explained in his book, so Val and I decided to focus on just three of the tools— Labeling, bending their reality, and creating the illusion of control.
0: Gerald, let's start the discussion focusing on the chapter titled, Don't Feel Their Pain, Label It. Label It, girl. Label Label it. It. Using active listening to uncover your counterparts' fears, needs, perceptions, and desires. That's what we do. Name it. Name it.
1: Name it. <laughs> you name it and claim it. No, <laughs> you name it. Well, you don't name, claim it because that's it. feeling their pain. That's true. That is feeling but their pain. But you label it. You do label it. Yeah. So that's when we use our emotions to make decisions. People use our emotions and they have two levels. Correct. All right. So tell, them, tell us how that works.
0: So there are two levels when uh, that we use when we're making decisions. The first level is really presenting. So it's what we what other people see and what they hear, your actions, what Mm -hmm. shows up, how and how it shows up. So think about iceberg. Remember Titanic?
1: Oh, the Titanic. Yes. Not the Titanic, but but the iceberg. But the iceberg. Right.
0: This. Yeah. So think about the iceberg (laughs) so they could see the top of the iceberg. So think about your actions that show up. So, you know, have that visual of the iceberg. Then underneath you have your underlying emotions. So those are any values, behaviors, your culture, what motivates you to behave the way you do? Gerald. What motivates you to <laughs> behave the way you do? I have. Don't known. answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Most you know?
1: people really don't even know what motivates them. <laughs> they think they know, but they don't.
0: They think they know. So, the, so your job, or, or or when we're trying to label, we're really using those active listening skills to to uncover what the other person
1: is experiencing and what they're feeling. Well, Chris Voss, he uses two. Well, he uses more than two, but he gives some tools to uncover the things under the iceberg. Correct. And so one of the tools he uses is tactical empathy. Tactical empathy. He had to put that, you know, you know, machine gun oomph, oomph you know, at war type deal. But it's empathy. It's not sympathy. So what, what, let's tell people what sympathy, empathy, and tactical empathy are.
0: Okay. So sympathy... Feeling, Having feelings, pity, or sorrow for another's misfortune would be a definition for sympathy.
1: Okay. Empathy is kind of more understanding where the other person is coming from, understand and share the feelings of another. But it is not feeling pity or sorrow for their misfortune. It's just understanding their situation.
0: Correct. And then so taking it up to the next level. Tactical that empathy. Tactical empathy where we understand another's emotions and feelings. With the ultimate goal to influence their behavior, or
1: as you like to say, manipulate.
0: Well, that's another
1: way of looking at it. I don't know if Chris Voss would say manipulate. I
0: don't think he would. I don't. But I think the whole, the whole, all of the tools. I guess it just depends on how you want to label. Uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, manipulation to me kind of um, brings up negative feelings. That's and, true. Yeah. So we 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 don't want to use the word manipulation.
1: But he does use the word when you uncover, when you use the tactical empathy to uncover the person's feelings and emotion, he wants you to label it because it neutralizes those negatives once you get it out and open. So one of the things he wants to do is to label an emotion. So for example, he uses sentences that say, it seems like you might be a little disappointed with your results, or it sounds like you had a bad day, or it looks like, you don't think I'm doing a good job here?
0: So as a leader um, in the business setting, when you use uh, tactical empathy, you're really giving a name to the emotion without reaction or judgment. Mm -hmm. You're just calling the emotion out so that will help to diffuse any defensiveness
1: or negativity. So I think I jumped the gun a little bit. How do you even find out you get that tactical empathy out. How do you get it out? So you jump the gun? Well, no course. way. Well, it's tactical, so I jump the gun. No way. <laughs> so
0: a tool that you can use to um, help with labeling, number one, listen. You okay. want to listen to what the other person is saying, right? Because remember, you know, you want to listen to the, 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 what's showing up, what you see and what you hear. Okay. So using those active listening skills. You want to look at the body language. Are they saying one thing, but their body showing something different? And then you want to repeat what you heard. Right. You want to uh, attach a name to that particular emotion.
1: Right. So you, you, you're trying to label it to get it out. And you know, it's funny, you don't only label negative things, you label positive things too, because labeling something positive reinforces the positive nature of the deal, where labeling something negative kind of neutralizes mm-hmm. the negative parts mm-hmm. of a deal.
0: So Gerald, earlier you said you gave us examples of statements that we can use, like you say, it seems like you're upset, or it sounds like you disagree with my opinion. Which you often do. No, of course. Well, that's because you well. Never mind. I'm not going to get into that right now. (laughs) That was good. You didn't fall for the base. I I did. Okay. For you. But um, one of the things that I wanted to uh, bring up is that when we use I labeling, for instance, I think you're upset. I think you didn't hear me correctly. Seems like
1: you're pretty vindictive. (laughs) Or
0: I'm here. Yeah. I. You know those I statements or I labeling statements can put uh, the other person on the defensive. So So we
1: want to be careful of that. So you want to make it neutral and use words like not what I believe, but it just seems like Mm -hmm. instead of I believe you're treating me with disdain right now.
0: Is that directed Uh, at me, Gerald? No. Okay.
1: (laughs) Or it seems like you're treating me with disdain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's, I want to use an example that Chris Voss used in the book, Never Split the Difference, negotiating as if your life depended on it. I wanna use the example that he used with the grandfather at Thanksgiving. And all of these folks were gathered around the table and the grandfather was just very grumpy and complaining and just very upset. Agitated. Very agitated. So that was the action that showed up, that presented itself. There were some underlying actions or there were some underlying beliefs so, the grandfather, it turns out, was very lonely and just very upset that the only time he had an opportunity to see his family was once a year. It didn't show up in his action, but when you take the time to look at what was motivating him and what was behind it, it was really loneliness and sadness.
1: Right, right. One other tool that he used in don't feel their pain, label it, was an accusation audit. Correct. And that is where you put all the negative items that you are aware of out on the table or, you know, what we like to say is the elephant in the room. Sometimes it's not only the elephant in the room. It might be things that you, you are aware or the other person, that your counterpart is aware that you did wrong or that your side messed up or that wasn't performed to the utmost Stability. So let me give an example. Go ahead. Okay.
0: So, an example that I have is you know, I am a project manager and I have a deadline that I'm supposed to meet on delivering a proposal. And I didn't meet that deadline and I didn't meet that, you know, I I just didn't do it. And a lot of circumstances, a lot of things that, that stopped me from doing it. The way for me to use this accusation audit when I go in to the person that I'm delivering the proposal to. I need to just be vulnerable, put it out on the table, and just admit that I missed the deadline. Here's the proposal. I'm sorry I missed the deadline. And then just diffuse any negativity. And when you use that accusation audit, it enables you to, again, continue the dialogue and the discussion.
1: One time I noticed a while ago a boss that I had This was very early in my career. Something happened where his art department didn't meet its goals. Mm -hmm. And I remember him talking to his boss and I remember him saying, well, you know, what we learned from this situation was this is what we did. This is what happened. And this is what we learned. And he put it all out there. And I thought he was going to hide it, but he didn't hide it. And a lot of times people fall into the trap of hiding their mistakes or trying to hide it, thinking that nobody's aware of what they're doing. We've just learned how labeling can disarm a negative situation. Stay with us to learn two more negotiating tactics, bending their reality and creating the illusion of control. I'm Gerald Johnson, and I'm here with my co-host, Val Lewis. This is MOB, Masterminds of Business, and this is episode four. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and write a review couple of quick programming notes. If you want to get in touch with us here at MOB, you can reach us at sabacon.net forward slash MOB or at Sabacon Ideas on Twitter and on Facebook. That's S-A-B-A-C-O-N-I-D-E-A-S. And if you're a mastermind and you have a great story to share or a question to ask, please reach out. Coming up, we will discuss two more of the tactics that can be used during negotiation from Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. Okay, the next thing that Chris Voss talks about in his book, Never Split the Difference, is bending their reality and i really like this chapter. First i didn't like it cuz i was confused out of my mind. But really <laughs> uh, the the definition of bending their reality is to influence, shape, conform your counterpart's reality closer to you want closer to what you want to give them. So, before you begin any negotiation, we have a preconceived notion of the value of the product or service we're offering or negotiating on. So what we want to do is bend the other person's reality so that they are now their preconceived notion of what our service is worth or what our product is worth is closer to what we want to give them and not what they think we deserve. So go ahead.
0: So I, I, I had a difficulty with this chapter as well. Um, and so what I found, the definition that um, resonated with me is been another's reality so they accept the limits you place on the discussion. OK. So that was just, you know really simple and easy for me to 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 digest okay
1: so he gives several tools to bend somebody's reality and remember what we're trying to do is get the other person's preconceived notions we're trying to get uh what they're thinking out and we're trying to get them closer to what we believe so he gives several tools
0: so can I just say one thing? So I, I look no, at really it. No, really you
1: can't say anything. Well, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go we ahead. We really
0: want to get the other person to conform to what you want to give them and not what they think they deserve. Correct. Okay. okay good. All right.
1: So one of the tools that Chris Voss uses to bend somebody's reality is to anchor their emotions. Now, me and Val were debating this back and forth about it, but I say it's just to anchor their emotions. And so what that means is when you're making an offer, if I'm making an offer, if I'm trying to sell something like my services, for example, and suppose I want to get. $250 an hour Mm -hmm. so I might say well you know Val I'm sorry but you know I don't know if you can really afford me you know I do a really extensive job it's very difficult what I do it's hard it's very pricey it's very expensive quite frankly I'm expensive I have to tell you I'm expensive What (laughs) what I'm trying to do is anchor your emotions or bring your notion of what I'm worth up okay that's what I would do. And I would say, I'm trying to bring it up. Go ahead, Val. Tell me how you'd anchor your emotions to the low side.
0: Well, so when I anchor the emotions <laughs> to the low side, I'm really actually preparing the you know individual for a loss. Okay. Right? Or lower expectations. So, for instance, uh, using a business example or going back to the project management example. So I had a certain budget um, that I had allocated for two months, three months for the the duration of a particular uh, project. Well, that budget was cut. And, you know, I still have the same need for resources. And, you know, so to me, when you're bending the uh, uh, anchoring on the low side, I'm engaging whoever's involved in this project with me. I'm engaging them to let them know I still need your help. I still need you to be involved. But the reality is, my you know, budget is my cut. budget is cut. Right. So I set up the conversation and the dialogue to get them to see the advantage of staying on the project. In spite of the fact that the money that we originally thought we were going to have is no longer there.
1: Right. And, you're, and, you know, one of the things that Chris Voss uses in Never Split the Difference, he talks about loss aversion and that people take greater risk to avoid a loss. And that's what you're bringing out than to achieve a gain. So you're you're trying to say, hey, you know, I may have a lower budget, but at least you have something versus nothing. And you're trying to get that person into that arena
0: or non-monetary items. So for instance, maybe if the satisfaction of completing a particular product, having your name attached to a particular product, that might be something that you can negotiate with in lieu of money.
1: Right. Another deal to bend somebody's reality is make sure the other person goes first. Now, when we talked in uh, MOB number three with Khalil Yearwood, Mm -hmm. he mentioned that as well. So in most instances, you want to try to allow the other person to hit the number first so that you don't undercut yourself. And he does talk.
0: About yeah. That. And so I want to just make sure that we're clear when we're saying let the other person go first, particularly when you're negotiating on a price. Right. OK, I just want to make sure that we're
1: right. Pulling that out. But well, suppose you can't go first. In that instance, what you want to do is offer a range and a range above what you're seeking. So let's say you were looking for $19,000. So you might say, well, you know, you're going for a job and the person makes $19,000. Not a job I would take, but <laughs> <laughs> but a job at $19,000. You'd say, you know, similar people in these type of jobs, you know, make anywhere from $21,000 to $35,000. dollars hmm So you're starting, so you're adjusting the person's preconceived notion of what you're worth by pushing that number up to 21000 So you're pushing it higher in their mind, and you're using that range. I think he even mentioned, he being Chris Voss, mentioned a study that was done that said people who used a range made more money when negotiating for For, uh, for a salary. Correct. Yeah, I remember that. Also,
0: we can talk about using odd numbers.
1: Odd numbers like uh one three, five, seven, like you're an oddball, like no. <laughs> oh yes. God, see, she comes out with those darts, <laughs> y'all she's oh, she got them <laughs> armed and ready,
0: no, so using specific numbers when negotiating, you give the appearance that it's more immovable, so you're giving a number like thirty two thousand eight hundred and seventy nine point ninety eight as opposed to. Thirty three thousand dollars dollars.
1: And what's the benefit of doing oddball number like you called me? What's the benefit of doing that?
0: Well, I think, you know, it implies that you've spent more time being deliberate about what it is that and being realistic about what it is that you can offer. And it's less movable. Right. You That's have it, it gives the appearance of being less flexible and you thought about it. Yeah, that $0.98 <laughs> cents is really going to put penny. me over to the
1: top. <laughs> I'm giving you my last penny. I just want you to know that's my last penny. I'm going to give you a range.
0: I'm going to give you odd numbers. Right. And then...
1: Odd not meaning odd. Odd meaning unique. Not Round, not whole numbers. Not whole numbers. Correct. 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 He also talks about um throwing in gifts mm-hmm. anywhere that you can to either befriend somebody or you give a gift to add some some extra value. So you say, "Well, you know, maybe it's I'll throw in the $32,879.98 and I'll give you a camcorder." <laughs> or I'll give you a book, or I'll give you something that shows that you know you're throwing everything you got. You really want this deal. You really want, but you're at your wit's end. You can't go no further than you are. So I
0: like the example that he that Chris Voss used in the book where he had a client, and uh, he usually, he charged a particular fee that was a lot higher than what this particular client was willing to pay for. And they negotiated by having Chris on the cover of their magazine. So that ended up being free publicity for him, The you know, he was able to go and fulfill his agreement with this particular company, and it seemed like it was a win win, not necessarily monetary, but something that resulted in more exposure. So, one of the things that you want to make sure that when you're focusing on monetary, non monetary, or gifts is you want to make sure that it's of value to the other individual, you can't just give them what you think that you know you
1: want to give them that is definitely true. One last tool that Chris Voss uses is deadlines. And he uses it to your benefit. So what he does is a lot of times people have a deadline to a contract, a deadline to get something done. So people tend to rush as the deadline approaches. And he kind of pushes people not to not to be so strict on the deadline. As long as you're still talking, there's still a negotiation going on and he gave this example about a businessman who goes to Japan Mm -hmm. and what the Japanese would do is they'd wine you and dine you and talk to you and they knew when you had to go back on that plane and they really didn't start negotiating till one day before you had to go so now they shoved everything in and the time pressure is there and you make mistakes right you make mistakes so that is one more item that you can use to bend somebody's reality, to change the circumstances surrounding your negotiation. So far, we've discussed labeling and bending their reality, two of the many techniques that Chris Voss illuminates in his book, Never Split the Difference, negotiating as if your life depended on it. You will be a more effective negotiator in business and in your personal life if you learn just a few of the techniques that Chris teaches. You are listening to MOB, Masterminds of Business, and this is episode four. We're so glad you decided to join us today. Please subscribe to our podcast and write a review if you like the show. Don't forget, visit us at sabacon.net forward slash MOB and follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at Sabacon Ideas. And with that, let's get back to the show. This is my favorite one. Okay. Creating the illusion of control. This is Chris Voss likes to create the illusion of control. What's the definition of creating the illusion of control?
0: Well, I know you usually have more elaborate definitions. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my short definition. It's oh, actually boy. getting your counterpart to suggest your solution giving them the illusion of control while you're actually the person defining the conversation
1: and moving the dialogue and the discussion. Why do I have to be the one that has more elaborate? You know. Oh, grief. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, Chris did a couple of things in his book, uh, Never Split the Difference. One of the things that he explained or illustrated really well for me was suspend your unbelief. And he says that when you come to a negotiation, you're actively resisting to negotiate. In your mind, in your subconscious, you actively resist. Well, and
0: actually, both parties both are parties, actively resisting. Both parties. So you know what I... I, can I when when I like, read that? Yeah, what did you do on active resistance? You, so the vision that came up to me were two rams butting heads. Val and Gerald. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, two rams butting heads, right. right? That's active resistance. Active resistance. I'm coming with my point, and you know you're coming with your point, or you know it doesn't have to be you and I, but right. um, you know just if you look at that, have that picture in your mind of both parties have a vested interest, and they have come with an agenda to this
1: conversation and the discussion. So what Chris wants to do is break down that act of resistance and get the other person, your counterpart, to work with you instead of working against you to find solutions that benefit both of you. Wow, that was good. I just came up with that That off the top of my head. Ooh, that is good stuff right there. (laughs) All right. So how do you do that? Well, what you do is he suggests, he being Chris Voss, calibrated questions and not using questions that can be answered with a yes or a no or a little bit of information. So calibrated questions. That is where you ask a question, it's almost like a reporter. You know, the who, what, where, why, when mm-hmm. type questions. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't use all of those, but he does use the what and the how a lot. And they're open-ended questions. So a calibrated question is meant to solve a problem. That is its purpose. So, for example, what about this deal is important to you? You got a cold again? God dang it, Val. When am I going to get rid of this freaking cold? (laughs) Anyway, uh, um, what about this deal is important to you? How can I help you make this better for the both of us? Those are calibrated
0: questions. So those open-ended questions, you're really asking for help. And again, going back to the chapter of creating the illusion of control, you're giving your counterpart the illusion that they're coming up with the suggestion or the recommendation, but you're actually guiding the discussion by asking those
1: open-ended questions exactly. and asking for help, it's like a river. You know, the river is contained by the banks, but it's still flowing. And you're trying to just get that person oh, going look down. Look at the, you! Yeah, I'm it's good. Like a good. River. It's like a river. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another calibrated question is, "How would you like me to proceed?" What brought you into this situation? If you answer that question truthfully and honestly, you're going to give me information. You can't just say yes.
0: Well, your counterpart has to stop and think and come up with a response. response. Like you said, it's not a yes or a no. The
1: calibrated questions are intended to engage and continue that dialogue. Correct, and help us to work together. One of the things I learned, unfortunately, when I was reading this, is one of the mistakes I made during a negotiation. I was negotiating with a CEO to provide some services for a company, Mm -hmm. and what I neglected to do was find out what, the other people behind the scenes thought about this deal. And they were really not for it. They were the hidden people who try to squash whatever you're getting done. And I didn't perceive that, and I didn't ask calibrated questions to try to get a better understanding of the situation I was getting myself into.
0: So let me try to repeat what I heard you say. So there were other people involved in the decision-making process that you were not aware of, right? Right. And you didn't have enough information to be able to to move forward to have a su- successful, successful
1: negotiation. Correct, because what you're trying to do is get everything out in the open. Everybody that you're negotiating with has a team of people behind them. If you're negotiating with a husband about buying a car, there's a wife going, I really don't like that color. <laughs> I don't like the way that seat feels. I don't like this, and I don't like that. If you're negotiating with a wife, there's a husband saying, That costs too much. That's this, that's that. You're always- What are the
0: horsepower? Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, or there might be kids (laughs) saying, I don't like that room. And when you're negotiating in business, there may be a CFO, even though there's a CEO. There's somebody behind the scenes having influence on your deal. No man is an island, no woman is an island. So you always have to get out all of the, I got carried away on these examples here, but you gotta get out all of the underground dirt that's out there and bring it out into the open. Like we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. you got to get that all out.
0: So one of the things I think if there's like a underlying theme throughout the three chapters that we've talked about, it would be do your homework. You have to do your homework. You have to be diligent. You have to plan. You have to know who you're talking to. You have to be aware of what you're bringing into the situation, your acquisition Accusation. Accus- Accusation. Get audit. it out, Val. Get it out. I Get got it. it out.
1: <laughs> Accusation. That felt audit. good, y'all. I got to correct Val on something.
0: <laughs> and really, it's, it's you know, putting in that time to plan where you want the discussion to go, how you want the discussion to go, and how
1: you're using all of these tools, right? Right. That's exactly it. One, one question he doesn't like you to ask or start a question with is Why? Why? So, why why? why why Why? who's on first no. on second? why no. why it's because why has a negative especially when you use it like why did you do that you know very negative so you could say something why? you're
0: very uh, you, people get very defensive
1: yes with why yes yes you know your kids always say why ma why 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 can't i do that yeah. why did you let so do yeah. that? yeah so try not to use the word why But to bring this all together, this book is really a reference guide. It's something like a dictionary for negotiation. I highly recommend it. You can use it time and time again. I agree.
0: There were a lot of practical tools and techniques. We only touched on a few, but there are so many that you can use. And there's also in the back of the book, there's a checklist to help when you're preparing for a negotiation. So Really uh, an outstanding book, very practical, very heavy, and fat on, on a lot of tools and techniques. Fat,
1: fat. Okay. <laughs> so, Val, let's summarize what sure. we talked about with all of the examples. Let's summarize our labeling, bending reality, and creating the illusion of control.
0: So, I'll, I'll start off with labeling. Labeling, you want to uncover or name your counterparts' fears, needs, perceptions, and desires. And you want to
1: do that by acknowledging their emotions and giving a name to it. Right. You got to use that tactical empathy. Val stole all the thunder. She didn't really leave me anything to say. But you use that tactical empathy to influence somebody's behavior. That's what labeling is. And you label both the positive energy and emotions and the negative energy. You label the negative energy to get it out in the open and neutralize it. You label the positive to reinforce it. So since you
0: have the perception that I took your thunder, why don't you explain bending reality?
1: Okay, so bending reality, that is trying to attack or the other person's, your counterpart's preconceived notions, so it more closely conforms to what you want to give them and not what they think they deserve, Mm -hmm. or vice versa. You're trying to get their preconceived notion before the negotiation begins closer to your reality. As you said, Val, you know, your budget was cut. Or as I said, you know, I'm really pricey. I'm the best there is. I really can accomplish goals. You never know. That's, that's, that's. You're so humble. I know, right?
0: (laughs) So the last technique we want to summarize is creating the illusion of control. That's getting your counterpart to suggest your solutions, giving them the illusion of control while you're the person that's really defining and guiding and moving the conversation. So, Daryl, we've summarized all of our points, the labeling, tactical empathy, bending reality, and creating illusion or control. So let's talk about our top three
1: learnings. Our top three learnings. Okay, the first thing that I learned was, was really important to me, and I did mention it earlier, is to make sure that you realize there's a team behind the person that mm-hmm. you're negotiating with. And so that no matter who you're talking to, realize that other people are influencing that person and you have to uncover those needs and wants as well whether it be a husband or wife the cfo the manager the marketing manager the sales manager you have to make sure you encompass when you make your proposals all of the people who are influencing that negotiation decision makers whether they're in the room or not
0: in the room well, what would we say we said At the table. All right. Under under the the table. table. (laughs) Under the table. The under the table (laughs) On top of the table.
1: Okay. Okay. That's one of the things I learned.
0: One learning for me, emotions. We have two levels of emotions. Okay. What shows up, what's present, our actions, and then underlying those cultures and beliefs that really motivate individuals to act the way they act.
1: And I would just add, you know, I learned some tools. I think... Until I read Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It, until I, I never realized how many different tools people used and have been used on me Mm -hmm. while negotiating and techniques that people use to get what they want. I'm not going to say that M word, but to get what they want, manipulate, (laughs) to get what they want, to get what they want out of a negotiation. And I never really knew that until I read his book. So I thought it was an excellent book. It is well worth it. I endorse it. So you get a thumbs up from me. I think it's well worth it. It'll make you make more money. (laughs) Okay. And the book's name is Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. We've learned a lot of new terms and tactics through our discussion of Chris Voss's new book, Never Split the Difference Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It. We learned about labeling, the accusation audit, and the use of calibrated questions. Those are just a few of the tactics that we've reviewed and that Chris discusses in his book. Do you do a lot of negotiation? What topics do you use when you negotiate? Do you plan your negotiations? We'd like to know. Give us a holla. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how you get compromise done on your job. We'd like to be inspired by stories of triumph. If you want to hear more of us at MOB, please subscribe and write a review. Both Val and I would like to thank you for listening to MOB, Masterminds of Business. We also want to thank our engineer extraordinaire, Frank Sterling. If you want to get in touch with us here at MOB, you can reach us at sabacon.net forward slash MOB or at sabacon ideas on Twitter and on Facebook. That's S A B A C O N I D E A S. And again, if you like what you hear, take action. Don't just sit on your hands. Reach out, subscribe, write a review. And remember, until next time, nothing happens unless you make it happen.